Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Man, again, it is just such an incredible opportunity to come together and to be able to celebrate Christmas Eve together and then later on today to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus again if you have the opportunity to do that and please do that with us this is just it's just awesome it's awesome to be able to remember what the reason for the season is and actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to, to actually spread the gospel message on Christmas Eve man um, so I love that I'm thankful for you guys I'm thankful for this family um, I just want you to know I love you. And on an unrelated note, but also a related note, it'll all tie together here in a moment, you'll see. But um, is, is there any like action movie buffs in here? Does anybody like action movies or action stories? You can raise your hand if you want. Any action? Okay, yeah, there we go. I'm not the only one. Okay, there you go. And unashamed, those hands are going up. Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah, I, mean, I love action movies. I, I love any kind of action movies, action stories, things like that. Has anybody seen the new Star Wars movie by any chance? Okay, do not spoil it for me. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. I want to. Don't spoil it for me. Again, I love that kind of stuff. And I think the reason that a lot of us love these kind of action movies, action stories, is because we get to see this kind of superhero come and essentially save the day, right? I mean, usually it's some dude that comes up, and he's just, like, taking out all of these, like, evil guys, all of these villains and stuff, right? And it's just something that's so cool about that. I mean, could you imagine going up into an action movie, and you got some dude that comes up on the screen, he's like wearing these tights, he's, got, he's decked out in all these cool weapons, he's jacked, he's ready to go, and all he ever does is take on some wimpy, average at best looking dude, and that's it, one guy. Could you imagine that? If I paid for a movie to go see that, I would be asking for a refund at the end of the movie. That would be horrible. Why? Because there's something inside of us that craves, especially us that like these action kind of movies and stuff. There's something inside of us that kind of craves to, to see like, you know, somebody come up and take on all these like evil guys, all these evil villains that nobody else can take down, that are wreaking so much havoc or, or some like big monster of a guy that nobody else can take down. That's just like terrorizing the world around. Them. There's something inside of us that kind of longs for this somewhat like a superhero kind of person, a savior to come and save the day, isn't there? There's something inside of us that longs for this. And when we look around at the world around us, we see the chaos, the brokenness, the struggles, the injustice that screams for justice to be served, that screams for the need to a, for a savior to come and save us. There's something inside that we just naturally know just needs saving. We need a savior. And here's the thing, even a lot of these, even a lot of these sappy love movies that a lot of you ladies like, like the Hallmark channel, the shows on there, which I'm pretty sure is a sin to watch this. I'm pretty sure it is. But even, even those sappy love, yes, praise God, yes, I know. And, and so even, even those. Um, you can still kind of see this in that. And what I mean by that is even when you watch those, you can kind of see, you know, we kind of have this sense of, of this need to kind of belong, right? This need to be loved. This need to kind of be saved, to be safe, don't we? And we can see that in those sappy love movies. But here's the thing. A lot of you guys are probably thinking right now, okay, look, I was with you until you said that. But that's just weird, man. I don't need some dude riding up on some white stallion to save me. I don't need that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing for all you like Hercules wannabes out there. Here's the thing, okay? We got to realize is if you didn't need saving, if you didn't need to be made safe, if you didn't need saving, 
Then why are you out there watching all these action movies and watching these other guys go and save the world? Why aren't you going out there and saving the world yourself? I'm going to tell you why. Because you can't. You can't, man. We need a Savior. Even like us, you know, guys, we, we think we're macho sometimes. But I'm going to tell you something. When we know, we know deep down that we need saving too. We need a Savior, a superhero, a Savior to come and save the day for us. All we have to do is look around. Look at the world around us. Turn on the news, man. Look at the chaos, the wars, the terrorism, the famine. All of these kids, millions of kids that are dying of starvation. Millions of kids, these kids that are trapped in the middle of these war zones with no escape, no way out. I mean, hey, all we have to really do, if you want to see brokenness and chaos, struggles in the world, just look into a mirror. Amen. Just look into a mirror, man. We all struggle in some way. In some way, and when we look into the mirror, we can see this brokenness, the chaos in our own lives. The things that have been done to us by other people or things that have been done to us by this crazy, chaotic, sinful world. Or here's the thing, things that we have done to other people. Things that we have done to contribute to the chaos, to the brokenness, to the struggles in this world. Guys, all of this evil, all of this struggle, all the chaos, all of this brokenness screams for the need. This injustice screams for the need. For justice to be served. For a Savior to come and save us. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times, I need saving from myself. Yeah. I do. It's not just the world around us. It's not just other people. It is us, man. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And here's the thing. We're going to be talking about a Savior today. We're going to be talking about this superhero, so to speak. This Savior that has been prophesied about for years and years, decades and decades and decades. He has been waited for. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin first enters the scene. He's been prophesied about, waited on from Abraham. I mean, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of these guys, Moses, King David, all of these prophets. Everyone has been waiting on this Savior to come and save the day. And now he is finally here. He is finally here. That's who we're going to be talking about today. The big idea today is the gospel is about a savior the gospel is about a savior and thank god the gospel is about a savior let's pray father i just thank you so much again for this gospel message the fact that you have not left us alone the fact that you love us so much that you never give up on us no matter where we're at in our lives today that you long to just meet us where we're at whether that means that we need to be saved, I pray, Father, if there are people here that don't know you, I pray that you open their eyes, you open their hearts, that you break down chains, barriers, whatever it may be, in their heart and their, in, their, in their lives, God, so they can respond to your gospel message and what you have done for us. And I pray for those of us that do know you, God, I pray that you come in and you just like, that you show us those things in our life that are keeping us from you, God, keeping us from being the men and the women that you long for us to be. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just flood this place, just take over this sermon, God. I thank you so much for this family that we have. The fact that no matter what's going on in our life, that we are loved by you. We are loved by this family. And these are gifts from you. It's all about what you've done, Jesus. And I just thank you and I praise you. We give you all the glory. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week we hit on the law, the tabernacle, and the sacrificial system. And we saw how all those things point to this gospel message. As we dive into this gospel series, how even those things point to the gospel message. And so today, what I want to do first off is to kind of step back in time, look back in time to see what's happened from that time of Moses 
all the way up until that time now where this Savior, this, this promise of an offspring, this Messiah, is finally about to arrive on the scene. So after the time of Moses, God raises up these guys called Judges. And essentially what the purpose of the Judges was is God would use these guys to help point the people back to him. That was what they were supposed to do. And then they were also used to help save the people during their time of need. And now every once in a while, sometimes these guys would, would you know, look at Jesus, look at God. They would, they would actually follow God, love him. But it was very brief periods of time. They always went back to just doing their own thing. The majority of the time, these Israelites were doing their own thing, not trusting in God at all. And it got so bad that eventually these guys actually started begging, started demanding their own king. They started demanding it from God and also from the prophet Samuel, who lived at that time. Okay, And here's the thing. Here's what's messed up about this is these guys already had a king. They already had a king. It was God. God wanted to be their king. But these guys relentlessly demanded from Samuel, from God, we want our own king. As corrupt as these other kings, these other pagan kings that they saw, and these other nations were, they still wanted their own king. So finally, God said, all right, you know what? You can have your own king. You can have your own king. That's when King Saul enters the scene. And when King Saul enters the scene, when we start reading about this guy, at first we kind of see, okay, you know what? This guy could have some potential. You know, this, this could be okay, right? But then as we start investing in this guy's life, reading on down the line, what happens? It doesn't take long for us to see that this dude is crazy. He's just straight up crazy, man. And not only that, but the only kingdom that he's concerned with building up is his own. He's not concerned with building up God's kingdom. He's concerned with building up his own kingdom. So God comes in. He anoints another king, King David. And King David is called by God himself a man after God's own heart. Not because he's perfect. King David messed up a lot. He made a lot of dumb mistakes. But he's, he's called a man after God's own heart because he owned up to that. He knew that he was an imperfect man that needed a perfect Savior. He knew that. And he loved God. Um, he, he also uh, was concerned with building up God's kingdom, not his own. That's why this man, King David, was called a man after his God, God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. Because he loved God. Because he pursued God relentlessly. And, and here's the thing. King David, as great as he was, he just pointed to the greater king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords that we're going to be talking about today. After the life of King David, though, immediately after all these other kings that come along, most of them were evil. Most of these guys were just straight up corrupt. They were, I mean, a lot of these guys, you couldn't even tell them apart from the other pagan kings that were in these other nations doing child sacrifices. I mean, worshiping these idols, not worshiping God at all. Tons of these guys. They were horrible. There were some good ones, none near as good as David, though. During that time, these other guys that were raised up were also prophets. And the prophets were essentially God's mouthpiece. What they would do is God would tell them what to say. They would say it. Sometimes it was encouraging things. Most of the time, though, it, it was these warnings. Like, look, you are going in the wrong direction. If you keep on doing this, this is what's going to happen. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Turn back to me. Usually that's what they were saying. Something else they would say. Something else that they would also prophesy about sometimes is this coming Messiah. This offspring, this Messiah that was one day going to come and defeat Satan and overcome sin altogether. And finally, finally, one day he showed up. One day he arrived. Let's check this out. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after she had considered these things, an angel of the Lord, after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you were to call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relationship with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. So first off, in this text, we see right from the get-go, man, we finally know who this offspring, who was talked about all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, promised for so long. We finally know who he is. He finally has a name. This is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. The name above every other name. Jesus Christ is his name. Then next in this text, we see Mary. And this Mary, she's actually pregnant, but she's still a virgin. Now here's the thing. She's a virgin, but, but Jesus Christ was put inside of Mary by God himself. The Holy Spirit put Jesus into Mary. But she's still a virgin. She is not. She's still a virgin. So here's the thing. This is, this is what's important to know here, okay? No man. No man at all can take any kind of credit for Jesus Christ. No man. God himself put Jesus into Mary. No man can take credit for this. And then next, finally in this text, what we see is this guy, Joseph. Um, and, and we see God's provision and his promise, supernatural provision through this account. Um, it just continues to not only a way for Jesus to be born, but also for his way for, for Jesus to be cared for. Through all of this. And we see what happens here. We see how this, this happens, how God continues providing as this angel comes to Joseph. Okay? Now, now here's the thing. Up to this point, Joseph is thinking that Mary has been unfaithful to him. Joseph thinks, like, you know, you know what? She's cheated on me. I mean, look what she's done. Not only that, but she's lying to me. She's giving me like the worst excuse that I've ever heard. Ever. But through this account, we learn so much about Joseph. This guy, he was such a humble, such a kind, such a loving man. The text tells us that he didn't want to make this a public a spectacle, a public scandal. He wanted to keep this secret. Why? Because he was a kind, a gentle man. It speaks so much, it speaks volumes about this man, Joseph. But then this angel comes on the scene and he corrects everything. He's like, look, no, look, this is what's going on. She is being honest with you. She honestly is a virgin. Okay, she's still a virgin. And Jesus, God, God himself has placed Jesus inside of her. And this angel comes along and corrects that. And now all of a sudden Joseph understands. But what does Joseph do as soon as he knows what's going on? As soon as Joseph has been commanded by God through this angel. What's the first thing that he does? What's the first thing he does? He obeys. He, he doesn't sit there and like write out a list. Okay, you know, should I obey? Should I not? You know, let me take a few days to think about this. Let me, I'm going to run off in this direction. There's no way I'm going to do this. I can't handle that. He doesn't do that. See, all this time back before when he was um, with Mary and, and he didn't know what was going on, when he thought that she had lied to him, that she had cheated on him, he was still such a gentleman to her. He was just so kind and so loving to her. And then when he finds out what's actually going on, as soon as God gives him this command, he immediately obeys. Immediately. We can see so much through his life, man. That's, he lived the kind of life that we should strive to live, the kind of life that we should model as Christians Today, this man, Joseph, just such an incredible man of God. Now, there's two big questions. There's two big questions that should be on all of our hearts and our minds as we're thinking about Jesus, as we're thinking about this Christmas story. All right. The first 
big question that should be on our hearts and our minds is, who exactly is this Jesus? Like, I know we've been talking about him a little bit, you know, and the offspring, all that good stuff, but who exactly is this Jesus? I mean, he's such a big deal. Who is this guy? The second question that should be on our hearts and our minds is, why exactly did he come? Again, I know we've been talking about this a little bit, but why exactly did this Jesus come? See, what's up with this? See, the proper understanding of these two questions, it kind of, it's a key to unlocking these other questions, the answers to these other questions, like, where did our salvation come from? Well, where did our hope, our freedom, our redemption come from? Where does our peace and our comfort come from? See, when we don't understand the answers to these two questions, then life becomes nothing more than just a, a simple speck of sand, you know, where you're just waiting to fall through the hourglass of eternity. It's like where, where meaning and purpose is just replaced by just mere existence. But I'm going to tell you something. When we understand the answers to these two questions and we actually respond to these two questions, what happens is mere existence is replaced by meaning and purpose. The reason for that is because meaning and purpose in our life is only found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only found through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus gives our life meaning and he gives it Purpose. So we're going to dive into these two things today with this first question. Who exactly is this guy? Who is this Jesus anyway you know, that, that everybody starts talking about and everybody's celebrating on Christmas? Who is this guy? Let's check this out in Matthew chapter 1. And I want to hone specifically in on verse 23 here. It says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So this text straight up tells us right off the bat who this is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. What we have to understand, this is a prophecy. This was a prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah 700 years ago, a long time ago. And this isn't the only one. There were tons of prophecies given about Jesus, tons of prophecies that he fulfilled. He fulfilled every single prophecy that was ever given about him every single one but but just just, just for a moment just, just so we can kind of like let's entertain this idea for a moment if if someone were to just fulfill eight of these prophecies there were a lot more than eight but if somebody just fulfilled eight the chances of that happening are one and one quintillion that's just crazy i didn't even know that was a word until this week quintillion are you kidding me? Like, that's one in one with 17 zeros after it. That is insane. That's just if he fulfilled eight. But there were a ton more than eight, guys. A ton more. He fulfilled every single one of us. What does that tell us? That's tell, that tells us that we can know without a doubt that these prophecies, that promise, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, all these other promises, all these other prophets that came along and talked about this Messiah that was to come. This is Jesus. We can know without a doubt, with certainty, that this is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that has come to save us. Let's check out another text to see who this Jesus really is. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. It says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Amen. Mighty Amen. God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. So we can, we can see so many things in this text, man. We could, we could dive into this text for a long time. There's three big things that I want us to hit on today. 
First off, we see um, he's talking about how he will reign um, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. What we have to understand is, again, we hit on this a little bit ago, but David, King David, was the greatest king that ever lived up until this point. Up until this point. But I'm going to tell you something. King David ain't got nothing on the king that we're talking about here. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. King David simply pointed to the greater king, which is Jesus Christ. Another thing is that kingdom was never David's to begin with. It never belongs to David. That is Jesus Christ's kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. The second thing I want to check out is, is when it calls Jesus the Prince of Peace in this text. It calls him several things. One of those things is the Prince of Peace. See, guys, first and foremost, we've got to understand, okay, faith or, or uh, salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone. From faith in Jesus. That is the only place that our salvation comes from. But on top of that, that peace that passes all understanding... It only comes from Jesus. Why? Because he is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. Peace, the peace, true peace. I'm not talking about superficially based, you know, momentarily based peace that's here one second, gone the next. I'm talking about the kind of peace that lasts. That in those moments when the hardship, it seems like the chaos, the stresses, the pressures of life are just weighing you down. Even in those moments, we can cry out to Jesus, and he gives us that peace that passes all understanding, and it only comes from Jesus. Amen. It only comes from Jesus. And this peace isn't just given, given to us in this life. This is an eternally based peace. We have this peace forever because it only comes from Jesus Christ. And when we belong to Jesus, we belong to the Prince of Peace. The last thing that I want to hone in on this text right here is the fact that in this text, it also calls him mighty God. Did you, did you catch that? It calls him mighty God. And, and see, if we're going to understand who Jesus is, first and foremost, we've got to understand that Jesus Christ is God. He is the God of the universe. And there are tons of references, Old Testament, New Testament, that point to this, that Jesus Christ is God himself. But I want to go to one more text. Just check out one more text to dive into this. John chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. And this is right after Jesus has he is, uh, uh, been crucified. He's already risen. And this is what's happening. He's about to be with his disciples here. It says, a week later, his disciples were indoors again. And Thomas, this is doubting Thomas, was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's that peace thing again. Peace be with you. Prince of peace. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him. Now catch this. Don't miss this. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my what? My God. My Lord and my God. I'm going to tell you something. If you were here today and you were struggling with who exactly this Jesus is, if you're struggling with, okay, who is this Jesus that we worship on Sundays? Who is this Jesus that we sing about, that we, that we live our life for? Who is this Jesus that we talk about that's all about Christmas? Who is this guy? If you are wondering what that is, if you're wondering who he is, you're struggling with that, this text right here leaves absolutely no room for error. None at all. And I'm going to tell you something. Look, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all throughout the Bible, it screams at the fact that there's only one God. Amen. There's one God, guys. There are not multiple gods. One God. All throughout the Bible, it tells us this. So when Thomas comes up, he shows up on this scene. Jesus is there with Thomas, with all the disciples. And Thomas is calling him, my Lord and my God, right there to Jesus' face in front of all of these disciples. And nobody, not one person is calling him out. Not one person is correcting him. What does this tell us? 
This tells us that without a doubt, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. He is the God of the universe in human flesh. That is who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. First and foremost, before anything else, we have to understand. We want to know who Jesus is. He is God in human flesh. Let's check out this next question, this last question here, which is why exactly did Jesus come? If we know he's God, God in human flesh, God in human flesh has now come to earth. Why exactly is he here? Let's check this out first in Matthew. Again, chapter one, I want to hone in on verse 21 for a second here. It says, she will give birth to a son. And you were to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, first off, check out in this text, it excludes Jesus from any sins whatsoever. Did you catch that? I mean, you can see this when it says that he will save people from their sins. It excludes him, their sins. Jesus Christ is perfect. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He was born perfect, sinless. He lived his whole life perfect, sinless, and he is still perfect and sinless. He does not have sin. Something else that we see in this text is it says his people. His people. So if Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, came down on human flesh to save his people from their sins, then the question becomes, who are his people? Like, this is pretty important, right? Who exactly are his people? And the answer to that is anyone that puts their trust, that puts their faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, anyone that follows after Jesus they are his people. If you are a Christian here today, if you know Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then you and you alone are his people. Amen. That is who his people are. And something else, the last thing I want to check out in this text right here is the whole bit where it talks about how he's coming to save his people. Coming to save us from our sins. All right, I'm gonna, I want to dive into this for a second because the, the question from this, the question that kind of stems from this is, well, how exactly is the God of the universe, Jesus Christ in human form. How is he going to save us? How is he going to save me from my sins, right? How is he going to do that? What's, what's this all about? What's this all about? So what we have to understand is, first and foremost, God is the only one that can forgive sins. He's the only one that forgives sins. The reason for that is because all sins are a direct affront, a direct assault. It's literally high treason against the God of the universe. That's why he is the only one that can forgive sins. And guys, there's a penalty for sin, but here's the thing. We take that, that concept, there's a penalty for sin. Why is there a penalty for sin? Dude, this is common sense, guys. It really is. We make this so much deeper, so much more complicated than it needs to be. It is all around us. When we really start to think about it, it's common sense. Think about this. Whenever you are a kid, if you do something that's a direct violation to your parent, if you don't listen to your parent, if you disobey your parent, what happens? There's a penalty. There's a punishment. What happens at work if you disobey your supervisor, your boss? There's a penalty. There's a punishment. Everything in life has repercussions. If I keep on walking this way off the stage and I'm not ready for it, I'm going to fall on my face. There is a penalty. There's a repercussion. If I disobey the law of gravity, guess what? There are repercussions for that. Everything in life speaks to this. We overcomplicate something that is so simple. If there is a punishment for disobeying our parents, for disobeying our boss, why in the world would we think that there's not a punishment for disobeying for high treason against the God of the universe? Why? I mean, honestly, it really is. It's common sense, guys. It really is. And God is the only one that can forgive it because it is a direct assault, affront, high treason against him. Against him. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a little example about this, okay? So, um, if, 
If I were to go up and, and let's say you had a friend, okay? Let, let's do this. Let's say you have a friend. And let's say your friend gets just completely just beaten up. I mean, really bad. They get beaten up, okay? And then on top of that, that person that beats them up, they take all of their money, all their possessions. They just take off, right? They beat them up really bad. They take all their possessions. They take off. Well, me and you, this is your friend. Me and you, we go down the road a couple days later. We run into this guy that is assaulted and beat up, you know, and stole all the possessions from your friend. Okay, and then I go up to that person. I'm like, hey, hey, I forgive you for everything you've done um, to that person. You were completely fine. You, you're, you're fine. You're covered. You're good. It, it, don't even worry about it anymore. Don't even worry about it. It's like it never happened, right? What are you going to be doing if that was your friend that happened? First of all, you're probably going to be thinking, you're probably going to be thinking some bad thoughts first. You're probably going to be like, dude, I want to, I want to hurt you right now. Um, and who do you think you are? You do not have the right, the authority to, to go and, and like forgive that person for what they did to that person over there. The only person in that scenario that has the right to forgive that assault and the theft is the person that was assaulted, the person that was stolen from. That's why, guys, the only person that can forgive sins is Jesus Christ. The only person that can forgive sins is God himself. He's the only one that can forgive sins. Guys, we have to understand something. See, God created the world to be perfect. He created it to be perfect, for us to be, have perfect relationships with God, perfect relationships with each other. That is what God created. He created everything, the entire universe, and that's how he created it. But now it's been corrupted. It's been corrupted by sin, this evil in this world. Now, why? Because of us. Because of us, because we've invited these things into our life, into our relationships, into the world around us. We are the ones that have corrupted his perfect world. That is that sin. It's a direct violation, a direct assault against the God of the universe. And no matter what we think it is, no matter how little, no matter how insignificant it is, for one, we're really good at sweeping things under the rug. And if it's, we think it's not a big deal, we have this like little scale in our head, right? You know, and we think, hey, this isn't a big deal. But I'm going to tell you something, man. No matter how little insignificant you think it is, it is a direct assault. It is literally high treason against the God of the universe. And there's a penalty. And because it's the God of the universe, the penalty is death. The penalty is death. But here's the thing, in God's incredible love, His incredible grace and His mercy, He willingly took on our sin and put it on, on Himself. He did that for us in His incredible love and His grace and His mercy. But the only way for the God of the universe to take on our death penalty, the only way for the God of the universe to be killed was for him to come down to earth in the form of a man. A man that could take on mankind's sin, mankind's punishment, put it on his back. A man that could be killed. A man that could be tortured and sacrificed for all mankind. Amen. And that is what Jesus Christ did. That is what Jesus Christ did. Why? Love. Grace. Mercy. Not because we deserve it. Not because we deserve it. Because he loves us. The last text I want us to check out today, just to get another glimpse, dive a little bit deeper into why exactly this Jesus, this God of the universe, came to earth in the first place. Let's check out Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, 
festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify Him. Man, somebody better say amen up in here, man. This ain't good news. This is great news. Does anybody need to be healed up in here today? Does anybody need to be set free from the bondage of the past, the bondage of our struggles? Has anybody ever had heartache, had struggles, had pains in this life? That is why Jesus Christ came. That is why Jesus Christ came, to give us, to save us, to give us redemption, to give us hope, to give us freedom. That is why Jesus Christ came. If you thought that this Christmas you didn't have anything to celebrate, I'm going to tell you something. You better think again. You better think again. This ain't just good news, man. This is great news. This is the best news that has ever been told. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, has come, and he has saved us. As you're, as you're celebrating Christmas this season, don't forget what you're celebrating. Don't forget the reason of this season. Don't forget what the true present is. Don't forget it is all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done. Without Jesus, there would be no Christmas. Without Jesus, all these other gifts would be meaningless. Without Jesus, we would have nothing to celebrate. Not only Christmas, but guys, we wouldn't even have anything to celebrate. Without Jesus. And as you're getting together with your family and your friends and you're celebrating this season, guys, don't forget that. Remind each other. Take that opportunity to remind each other what this season is all about. Who this season is all about. What he has done for us. And if you're here today and Christmas for you, just brings up a lot of just pain from the past. If Christmas for you, it's really just a lonely time because you think about maybe some of those people that have gone on before you. I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know, first and foremost, you have a family, a, a church family that loves you. We take community and family very seriously here. We love you. And, and more importantly, you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, that loves you. So much. He loves you. His love for you knows no limits. It has no ends at all. He loves you. No matter what is going on in your life. I'm going to tell you something. Look, the pains, the struggles, the sins, the corruption in the world, the chaos, it will end one day. For us as followers of Jesus Christ, it will end one day. This is only momentarily, but I'm going to tell you something. Something that will last forever, that will never end, is Jesus Christ's love for you. It will never end. You are not alone. Even in those moments of despair where you think that nobody else cares, that nobody else is there, when the weight of the world is dragging you down, he is right there with you. He has never left you, and he will never leave you. Right. He loves you. He loves you. And again, guys, these pains, these struggles, the sins, the corruption in the world, because of Jesus, it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. Praise God for that, man. One day, we're going to be able to come together as a giant family, and not just all of us, but the people that have gone on before us. And we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be partying. Anybody that doesn't think that Christians party, man, you better. Man, that is crazy. We serve the author of parties. I mean, come on now. We serve the, it's going to be a giant celebration. All of these Christmas seasons that, that we celebrate here on earth. Every Christmas that you've ever had, the best events, the best parties that you've ever had in your life. I'm going to tell you something. They are only a tiny glimpse, a small fraction of the kind of party, the kind of celebration that we're going to have together forever and eternity as one giant family. Not just us, but even the people that have gone on before us. And it's only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of him. He is the reason for the Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior, has finally come and he has saved us. Worship team, if you guys can come on up. Guys, if, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if, 
Maybe you've heard about this story several times. Maybe you've kind of gone through different church services. You've read the Bible a little bit, but you honestly never responded to what Jesus has done, the gospel message. It's just the hope, the freedom, the redemption found only through Jesus. That's all that is. I want to encourage you, please don't wait. Don't wait. You can have something to actually celebrate this season. I'm not talking about some little present. That's going to be here one moment and gone the next. Something that you can't take to the grave. I'm talking about something that you can take with you for eternity. Jesus Christ. He loves you. The Word tells us that He stands at the door and knocks. This is available to every single one of us. No matter where we're at, you don't have to wait until you know, you're, you're at that spot in your life where you think you're good enough to earn His grace. I'm going to tell you something. You will never be good enough. You will never be good enough, man. Even on our best day, we're as filthy rags compared to the God of the universe. We do not deserve Him. That's not the point, man. We need a perfect Savior. We need a great physician. Why? Because we are hearted. Because we are broken. Because we struggle. Don't wait to deserve it. You will never deserve it. Just surrender to His loving arms. He will meet you where you're at. If you're a Christian, if you know Christ, but maybe there's been some things that you've been holding on to, then I want to encourage you, don't wait to give those things over to Him. Again, He'll meet you where you're at. He loves you. And He'll help you along the way. Whatever it's, whatever's going on in your life, don't wait to respond to Him. I'd love to pray with you. You can pray right there where you're at. You can, the altar will be open. You can come up to the altar. But again, don't wait to respond to Him. He loves you. Just surrender to His loving Hey guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. And it's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self 
and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out uh, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, If you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So... Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we are we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.